Today's podcast is brought to you by Every Wednesday, a plan to inspire the people of Portland and support the place we call home. Let's get out of the house and spend some time with each other. Skip Zoom, meet for coffee, take your colleagues out to happy hour. Buying a gift? Ditch the internet and support a local maker by shopping in-store. Head into town every Wednesday and see what's going on at everywednesdaypdx.com. Welcome to The Dive Podcast, presented by Willamette Week, where every Saturday we discuss the biggest news stories of the week with Portland's noisiest newsmakers, savviest culturistas, and some of the best journalists in the game. I'm your host, Brianna Wheeler, and I want to hear from you. So send your questions and comments to me, bwheeler at wweek.com. All right, y'all. Enjoy the show. This week, I'm welcoming back pod fave Nigel Jaquis whose work on this week's cover package, The Tardy Dozen, reveals some of the biggest tax dodgers in Oregon, as well as how those delinquent taxes could be used. Sophie Peel, Anthony Effinger, and Lucas Manfield all contributed to this week's public shaming of 12 Oregonians who, for whatever reasons, have fallen behind or neglected their tax bills completely, some to the tune of tens of thousands, some to the tune of millions. Shame. Shame. Shame? It's Saturday, August 5th, and this is episode 135 of The Dive. Nigel and I are going to scalp all these non-tax-paying jabronis in just one sec, but first, here's what I learned from this week's edition of Willamette Week. Supporters of Portland Street Response continue to pressure City Hall to support the embattled program. In June, when the city and Multnomah County were renegotiating the terms of the Joint Office of Homeless Services, Commissioner Rene Gonzalez floated a last-minute proposal, allocation of part of any unspent funds to support PSR and another Portland Fire and Rescue program called CHAT. But Gonzalez's pitch came to the county late and without support from Mayor Wheeler. So it's not part of the one-year extension of the operating agreement that the county announced on June 9th. And the Oregonian plans to stop printing three days a week, limiting its additions to Wednesdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, and leaving Portland without a daily paper for the first time in more than a century. (gasps) Yikes, the shrinking newspaper, which has run in print daily since, oh my God, 1881 will scrap its Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday print editions beginning next year. And on the back pages, Adam Sawyer brings us a hike of the month, Whalen Island Loop, near Tillamook. It's located in the same estuary as Sitka Sedge State Natural Area, but it's less crowded and with views that are just as stunning. Hmm. Now let's talk tax evasion with Nigel Jaquis. In 2019, uh, Senator Betsy Johnson sponsored a bill that said, okay, anybody who doesn't pay uh, and owes more than $50,000, we're going to put their name on a list and we're going to publish that list. So there's an interesting backstory there. Johnson told me in an interview that the reason she introduced the legislation was because a former news editor at Willamette Week named Brent Wolf uh, 
had really just uh, insisted that something needed to be done. Uh, so Brent and I had been interested in this information because we often look at tax liens. A tax lien shows you who isn't paying their taxes. And we tried to get the State Department of Revenue to give us a list of everybody who hadn't paid, and they said they couldn't do that. And uh, Brent was incensed by that, and he, he kind of went on a, a crusade, and uh, he obviously, Senator Johnson told me, convinced her that she ought to do something about it. And so she she did introduce this bill in 2019. She told me it was pretty hard to pass because a lot of people felt like it was naming and shaming people who didn't pay. And she said, no, look, it's... Uh, it's uh, not naming and shaming. It's all about accountability. And we all, you know, all of us who owe our taxes, 97% uh, of us pay, so everybody ought to pay. And uh, so that's, that's what's different here. This is a brand new technique that the state is using to try and encourage people to pay. Betsy Johnson had, was able to pass this in 2019. Why yes. did it take so? Why did it take until twenty twenty three? Is that when the list was released? Right, it was released uh, July fourteenth of this year. Uh, the Department of Revenue gave uh, people a uh, a grace period, in essence, because of the pandemic. The pandemic really did cause tremendous disruption to people's uh, businesses, and a lot of the people who owe a lot of money uh, own businesses or uh, work for businesses. So. You know, I think that was probably fair to give people time to get their affairs in order. And then they actually gave them more time. In May, the Department of Revenue contacted everybody who was on the list and said, we're going to publish this list soon. You you could pay us now everything you owe and we'll take your name off or you could agree to a payment plan and we'll take your name off. So um, that, that had some immediate results. They got $6 million right away. Oh, wow. And they got another $27 million in payment plans. So I think, you know, the Department of Revenue would probably say this has so far been an effective tool to get people to meet their obligations. Mm -hmm. So for the subjects that are on the list that are kind of being named and shamed, are any arguments being made that in this kind of post-pandemic landscape, um, where is my tax money even going? Why am I paying taxes if I don't see the results of them? We didn't hear that argument, uh, although some of our readers have made that argument in the comments section. The, the argument that we heard, the most common argument, I think, and the most common denominator uh, on the list is um, the uh, incredible presence of people who are in the cannabis business. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the list itself is 20 pages long. We just picked the top 12 people who have Portland addresses, but the list itself is 20 pages long. Uh, and uh, gosh, I would bet you five pages would, if you, would just be cannabis-related businesses. Wow. So the excuse that we did hear from a number of the cannabis uh, entrepreneurs is that they dispute the amount they owe. Now, cannabis is taxed differently in Oregon from any other product that I'm aware of, the, uh, at the retail level, it's taxed at 17.5%, I believe might be 17. And uh, uh, retailers pay those taxes quarterly. And um, so a lot of them dispute that they uh, owe what the state says they do. And uh, I don't know who's right. We don't know who's right. But it, it's no secret that the cannabis industry has suffered uh, 
tremendously in the past couple of years from oversupply. Mm. That has meant that uh, people at uh, almost every level of the business, whether it's uh, farming it, processing it, or retailing it, have uh, lost money. Uh, a lot of people got out of business. A lot of people are losing you know, large amounts of money. A lot of investors have pulled out. So that industry sector really does play a, a huge role in this list of taxes that haven't been paid. So if a common argument is that these cannabis businesses dispute the amount of taxes that are owed, does that somehow, like, um, are we opening up a new can of worms here? Does this kind of name and blameless, do you think that that might shine a new light on some of the, I don't know, questionable uh, oversight that's happening in the cannabis industry? Uh I would see it differently. Um, I think it. I think it does shine a light on the industry's troubles. Uh, I don't think the industry's troubles are from too much regulation per se. I think the industry's troubles are are actually uh, the, the part of regulation that you could question is that the state made a very intentional decision to uh, allow uh, it, it initially anybody who qualified for a license to have one. So we didn't place any limitation on the number of licenses. That's very different, for instance, from uh, state liquor stores, mm. which we which we strictly limit, or uh, lottery terminals, which we strictly limit. So we, we made a decision, and it was a policy decision that the legislature considered <coughs> deeply uh, to allow as many people in the business as wanted to get in. So what that has done over time, so you have an unlimited number of businesses and you have a product that is very easy to grow. And so that has created this oversupply of product and too many people selling it. That's driven margins negative, meaning people are losing money. And yet uh, the way we decided to tax it was tax at sales, not tax on profit. So. Mm. Those were all decisions the legislature made in consultation with with people in the industry and people who want to get in the industry. So I, I think it just highlights the fact that, that the industry is in a in a very, very difficult place. Mm. But I, I don't think it I don't think it speaks to uh, poor regulation per se. I mean, this that, that system is the system that, you know, we took a couple of years legislature after voters passed. Uh, recreational legalization in 2014 legislature took a couple of years to you know to implement these rules now maybe they're the wrong rules and maybe we should and if you know in fact the OLCC has now uh, for some time limited new has not allowed new people in because there are too many people already in so there are some changes but um, it's just an industry that's in very bad shape yeah it's not all cannabis businesses on this list Mark Hem Street the Shiloh Inn story it yeah. seems so egregious to me. How yes. was this guy able to maintain this? I don't know. Is it like a grift for so long? Well, I that's a very good question. I had written a story earlier this year about Hem Street failing to pay federal income taxes to the IRS, which is a similar, obviously a similar issue. And that now is somewhere around $20 million. Oh, my gosh. He's on this list for $3.6 million individually. His wife owes another seven hundred. His business, one of his businesses, Shiloh Management Corporation, owes another three fifty. So he's by far the largest Portland 
uh, debtor on this list. And uh, tax liens show that it, he has not been paying his taxes for a number of years, and yet his businesses have continued to operate throughout those years, which does raise questions about whether non-payment of taxes is part of his business model and whether he's just thumbing his nose at the Department of Revenue and the IRS and saying, uh, you guys aren't going to do anything about it, so I'm just not going to pay. And that's what it looks like. I mean, it's only now uh, in June, and I wrote a little bit about this in this week's issue, that uh, uh, his businesses have been put into what's called receivership, where people he owes money to who are not the taxing authorities. Actually, a bank from California said, look, you've owed us this money for a long time. You won't pay. We're going to ask a judge to basically take control of the businesses away from you and give it to a third party who will, uh, as money comes in, pay us some of the money that you owe us. Mm-hmm. So that's a dramatic and drastic step, and it's maybe you know getting close to the final chapter of a really what's been a twenty-year-long decline in Hemp Street's empire. He, he wow. uh, in the '90s was the king of Oregon Republican politics. He was the biggest giver for several years in a row, and he was active in supporting candidates, active in ballot measures. And Oregon looked very different politically in those. The Republicans controlled the legislature, uh, and so um, uh, he was he was a very important figure in Oregon politics. And economically, he ran you know fifty hotels, and they were doing great things. And then nine one one hit, and he fell afoul of organized labor. They boycotted his hotels. They're still boycotting them, I believe. And so he's wow. you know he's been in decline. His 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 empire's been in decline. He still owns, you know, a, a huge ranch in the Wallowas. He owns a beautiful ranch in Montana, maybe more than one. Uh, you know, I think he's lived very well throughout. And yet, you know, the point that we try to make in this story is that these taxes pay for things like uh, school teachers. They pay for things like, uh, you know, Department of Human Services uh, work with foster children. They pay for uh, the state to send home health care workers in to help senior citizens or people with disabilities. So the money that these people on this list aren't paying has real consequence for Oregonians. Yeah. So Hem Street stood out as the most egregious non-payer to me, but there was like this mysterious person on the list also. Um, Cheryl? Cheryl? Daquilante. Even the name is I mysterious. I'm mispronouncing the name. Yes. Uh, Sophie Peel wrote that piece and it has maybe my favorite line in the piece and that's when sophie called her phone number the voicemail just says cougar barbie (laughs) and uh so we don't know how she made her money we don't know where she is or what uh all we know is she owes the state a lot of money um and uh so she's a woman of uh, she's a woman of mystery with a great voicemail (laughs) cougar barbie um, what from from your end? What was the most what was the most scandalous um, story to come out of this package? Well, I, I would agree with you that uh, I, I have a lot of empathy for people in the marijuana, the cannabis business, who have you know entered into a business that a lot of people thought was going to be a really good business and seen it uh, be the opposite. Um, I, I think that Mark Hemstreet, frankly, 
you know, he's been, he's got hotels that are still operating all over the state and all over the West. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've been operating throughout a period in which he has uh, appeared to live a very comfortable lifestyle and which he appears to have, you know, cash flow coming from these properties. There's one out in Tillamook that is, you know, I'm pretty sure books all it all summer long because mm -hmm. it's well located. Uh, they, all his hotels are located in, you know, sort of places where people go for vacations. And so, you know, he's been very critical of the way the state operates in the past and has uh, wanted the state to differently and operate more efficiently and pay public employees less. And um, I, I think it's uh, hypocrisy at best and uh, maybe uh, much worse than that for him to, to just simply not uh, meet his obligations because he's one of those guys who, you know, he, he talks a big game about how important it is that uh, people exercise their freedom and that, you know, they'd be good Americans and that they um, uh, act a certain way. Uh, and you know what his what his tax bill tells you is that's all talk, and he doesn't he doesn't walk that talk. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that this bill is as effective as the reporting that you're doing on this bill? I, I, you know, we couldn't do this reporting without this bill because the state, to Brent Wall's great chagrin, wouldn't give us the information that we asked for. We 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 would say, give us the top hundred, give us everybody, give us some version of all the tax liens that you're publishing, you know how much these people owe, and they claim they couldn't do it. So I think this is effective. Look, we in the press, uh, Willamette Week perhaps less than TV or daily paper, because we're not a daily paper, we um, we commonly write about uh, people who do things that are bad, like, uh, you know, committing crimes or, or, or stealing money from organizations and we we put their name in the paper and we we describe their misdeeds and to some degree that's humiliating to them and that shames them and uh, the common thread among the people on this list is that they all have made a lot of money they've either earned a lot in income or they've sold a lot of product in the case of the weed uh, entrepreneurs and even though it's a tough business you know if you're gonna if you sell a million dollars worth of cannabis you have to understand that you owe taxes on that million dollars of cannabis and you should, your business plan should reflect that and allow you to pay it. So it's a long winded way of me saying, I, I absolutely think that transparency and sunlight on non-payment of taxes is, is in the public's interest. And I think this list that DOR is publishing and that we are going to write about and continue to write about it in the future is an effective way to help people uh, who owe their taxes decide to pay them. And it's, I think it's an effective deterrent in uh, letting people know that there are consequences for non-payment. And one of those consequences may be, you know, humiliation in the eyes of your friends and neighbors. Yeah, and your community at large. Yeah. yeah. Thanks to this week's guest, Nigel Jaquis, and thank you for joining me. I hope you'll join me again next week. Until then, bye!